What is data-driven decision-making? It's using data and metrics to guide business strategies that align with organizational goals. For the Navair Command Property Management Office, it's a process they're using to drive down costs and deliver capability to ensure naval aviation readiness. Welcome to Airwaves, the official podcast of the Naval Air Systems Command. I'm your host, Michael Lauren Prue. And joining me today is Brian Harkless, Navair Command Property Officer, to tell us how his team is using data to get real, get better, and get results. Brian, thank you for joining us. Nice to be here, Michael. All right, Brian. So tell us about the Navair Command Property Management Office. What is your mission? Our main mission is to be the single stop and the single voice for all property-related policy oversight and guidance for everything that Navair owns. Navair actually manages and owns about $260 billion worth in property, $220 billion in aircraft and end items, and about $40 billion in spare parts, operating materials, and supplies. And that's across six separate audit categories. And it's a big job to keep track of everything that Navair owns. Talk to us about the team of people behind this effort. Well, we have about 80 civilians and contractors and military personnel, and we're divided into three main organizations. So we have the Property Operations Group, which consists of the data branch and the audit branch. The audit branch is responsible for communication between FMO and other Echelon 1 stakeholders and our program offices and Echelon 3 commands. The data group is responsible for automation and uh, data analytics. So we want to get in and help people make data easier to access. We also have policy group that's responsible for training and policy clarification for subordinate commands. Brian, what is the focus or the goal of the Navair Command Property Office? What is your North Star? Our focus is on capability, availability, and affordability to really know the full extent, condition, and location of all NAVAIR property. And that's to empower leadership to make informed decisions and allow us to deliver the right part to the right place in the right condition, on time, every time. When it comes to managing property, why is audit readiness so important? Well, audit readiness really relates to mission readiness. And what we're trying to do is is understand where our stuff is, what condition it's in, and that lets us make better decisions about how to use it, how to direct funds and resources, and it really gets to effective property management. Audit itself is just a test. It's a test to make sure that we're doing things the right way. And audit success is not really our goal. It's a byproduct of uh, effective property management. So, Brian, a few years ago, there was a push for improved audit readiness, and that led to a get real, get better moment for the command in terms of how we manage property. Tell me how it began, and what problem were you trying to solve? In 2010, the National Defense Authorization Act put into a statute that all secretariat-level agencies had to have auditable financial records, and that was the real driver that got us to be able to take a look at our inventories, take a look at our processes, and say to the taxpayer, hey, we have a fiduciary responsibility to be able to show you what we do with the money that you're entrusting us with. And that's what we're doing. So since 2010, we've had a legal responsibility to get, air quotes, auditable. And that's what we're still working on today. So what was your approach? 
And how did you apply commercial best practices? Well, the first thing we did here at NavAir in the, in the property segment was to look at visibility. Most of us are familiar with Navy ERP. That's where we do our timesheets. It started as a financial system here at NavAir, and now we're using it as a property system as well. So the goal is, is to get all of the stuff that we own in one system of record so that it's visible, so that everyone can see where the material is, so that leadership has the ability to make decisions based on that knowledge, and that we can get it to where it needs to be when it needs to be there. All right, so you're doing the audit process and you make a discovery. Why was that discovery so important? As we started going through this uh, this whole process, we discovered that NavAir has stuff everywhere. We're an acquisition command. We're very good at buying things. We have a strong engineering flavor. We're very good at hoarding things. None of that is bad. It's great. We're all doing it for a reason. We all want to support the warfighter. We want to carry on our mission. But over the course of the years, we've put a lot of things in a lot of places. And based on the research that we've done in the last several years, NavAir currently has 1,797 places where we keep stuff. That's a lot. Those range from little supply closet operations in the back of a shop at the Knox to full-scale warehousing operations. So what we've done is we've looked at those, is, and we're working through them still, um, but we've found at least 735 potential warehouses that are suitable candidates for consolidation. And, and what we were trying to do is really get a handle on the best way to store our material for the warfighter. So, you know, 20 years ago, 40 years ago, the push was closer to the flight line. The most expensive part of the supply chain back then was last mile delivery. It's how do I get from this place where I'm storing stuff using a lot of military labor, honestly, at the time to closer to the flight line where I need the stuff so that that delay in shipping doesn't impact my readiness. Now that's not the case. Since FedEx and DHL and UPS are out there, we utilize those services, those common carriers. And what's really happened now is that the expensive part of the supply chain is the, is the hoarding, is the, is the holding it in one place. So what we're trying to do now is take a look at where we can reclaim some of that come to a consolidated point and really see where the economies of scale are and where it makes sense to uh, bring our stuff together. That gives us less contracts to deal with. It gives us more flexibility in the governance of the material. And it really improves our auditability because we have fewer cats and dogs to herd to make sure that the policies are being followed correctly. So once you realize that Navair has a lot of stuff, And that stuff was spread out in a lot of places. And that was getting really expensive. What did you do? What was your approach to get better? Our first response was shock. We couldn't believe that there were this many places out there. So we went and did some due diligence. And we went around and we looked at places. We toured the locations. and, And we verified that what we saw in the computer system was real. We made contacts with folks and went all over the the NavAir footprint and really talked and saw how people were managing their material. Everybody wants to do a good job, but the truth is we're an acquisition command and property management is not necessarily everybody's first thought when they get up in the morning. So what we decided to do was take a step back and say, how can we impact the command in the best way? How can we help the warfighters? How can we help us go and focus on our strengths? So like I said before, this is an acquisition command. Property management, 
not everybody's number one thought. So what we wanted to do was try and take that burden as much as we could and put it in the hands of consolidated property professionals. So we stood up a command property office in the sustainment organization. Prior to this, the CPO lived in the comptroller shop. And that was great. They did a fabulous job, but they didn't have the insight or the uh, touch into the sustainment logistics world. So about three years ago, we uh, transitioned that program from comptroller to sustainment. And as part of that, we uh, took on responsibility for policy oversight and guidance for all material types. So we used to be broken up, like assets went one place, operating spare parts went another place, and now we're all together. And that really streamlined the the way that the programs got information and the way that the programs could ask questions. So once that system came over, we took a long look at how this process had been working and we found some things that hadn't frankly been working. And we we took a total re-engineering effort and started from the ground up and we modeled our, our organization off of NAVSUP and the way they manage material. And we're trying to get that expertise available to the program offices. We created some avenues that the program offices could use to get information and to leverage the expertise that the, our office has developed over the years. We also created an IDIQ vehicle so that programs could buy contractor bodies that were trained by us, overall managed by us, but belonged to them. And they could put them straight into their organizations to solve their problem. One of the key issues that we discovered was property management was everybody's collateral duty. So it was nobody's primary job in the programs, but six people had a piece of it as a collateral duty. So our selling point is, hey, you can take your 20% of six people, turn that into one person that we will provide for you. We will train them, we will educate them, and we will drop them in your lap and you can use them as you see fit. And it's really turned into a, a big winner for us and the programs. It sounds like you really changed the game. You streamlined processes internally. You took time to identify what wasn't working and how you can better support the organization and ultimately the warfighter. How did data play into this process improvement? Yeah, so once we saw the data of how many things were out there, it really drove us to look at facilities. Just because people don't like doing program management doesn't mean they shouldn't do it. But when we saw how fragmented it was, we saw some real opportunities for quick, big wins that both lowered costs, made things more visible in the systems, and reduced the workload for our folks. All right, so talk to me about your progress to date. What have you accomplished, and what do you expect to accomplish in the future? So far, we've looked internally, and we have solved our own internal problems. So as a proof of concept for this consolidation, we looked at the interim supply support program, ISS, that manages material before it goes to the big supply system. That had previously been in three locations in the continental United States, and it was all designed to be closer to the squadrons that needed the stuff, right? So there was East Coast, there was West Coast, there was South. We consolidated all that into one warehouse in San Diego. And what we found was that we were able to meet all of the shipping demands just like we would from a, a bi-coastal operation. We were able to consolidate staff. We dropped headcount by 25% across all the organizations. And we uh, saved year over year $1.2 million by consolidating. And that was from three government facilities down to one government facility. So as we look at 
all these other things, we see, okay, we've got a demonstrated plan that works. We work through the mechanics of how to do it on our own internal material that we controlled. So we figured out the ins and outs of how to do it smoothly. When you look at the organizations that are out there that have material in the hands of contractors or in leased facilities, our return on investment is going to be even bigger. Because if we can cut down commercial leases and bring things back onto government property, we save a significant amount of money. So right now we're in the process of finding a big white box. That's what we call it. It's just, it's a lot easier to consolidate into something that's empty than to to try shuffling the deck chairs on the Titanic and, and move things into uh, existing facilities. So we are now working with uh, CNIC and NAVFAC to identify some underutilized facilities that we can upgrade, that we can invest in as a command and as the command property office to really take advantage of COVID opening up spaces, just a lot of different things to find that big white box that we can start loading this stuff in. We've got the expertise in the material management. We know how to replicate that. We understand how to transfer things from one place to another and make it effective. It's now just a matter of identifying that facility, getting it ready, and then finding the customers that want to come. I don't ever want to be in the position where we're directing anyone to use this service. What we want to do is present the option to programs and, and let them make the decisions that are right for them. Program managers should have the power to take advantage of a consolidated solution if it makes sense. And if it doesn't for some reason, that's fine. That's their cost schedule performance metric that they need to work towards. And we're just here to be an enabler. Earlier, we touched on the Navair Command Property Office, North Star, to deliver warfighting capability on time and on cost. How will this effort help you accomplish that? And what is the benefit to naval aviation? Well, primary benefit to uh, the warfighter is visibility. So if we know where all of our stuff is and we know what condition it's in, that allows the command leadership to make decisions. So for example, a lot of the stuff that NAVAIR holds right now is called project stock material. So a program office will buy something for a specific reason, maybe for a flight test operation, maybe for an engineering investigation, but they'll buy something either sometimes from the supply system, sometimes outside of the supply system, but those are parts that sit in their cognizance and sometimes people don't know they're there. When those things are visible and made available, we can run queries in Navy ERP and we can see if there's a part that an airplane is, that a fleet aircraft is down for, so if there's an IPG-1, some part that is in back order, we can check that against our internal inventory and see if, hey, we have one. It's earmarked for a flight test program. Let's have the Admiral get together with the Admiral and say, hey, which one of these two things is more important and give those guys the flexibility and the information they need to be able to make good decisions. Now, we also want to deal with um, people who have excess material. There's no benefit to holding material if you don't need it. It just clogs up space and it really just doesn't help anybody. So as part of the uh, NMAC program, 
Navy Material Accountability Campaign that ended last year, we identified $250 million worth of material, over 1 million parts, just held by NAVAIR program offices and warfare centers that was obsolete, that they identified that they didn't want anymore, but that still had demand in the system from the NAV subsupply system. So we take that and put that in an RAM facility and offer that material free to the fleet as part of the sourcing logic in Navy ERP. So we have also been able to identify through the NMAC program, which is the Naval Material Accountability Campaign, over $250 million worth of material, 1 million parts approximately, that were deemed obsolete, unnecessary by the program offices, but that still had demand in the fleet through NAVSUP. So we have taken all that and put it in an RAM facility, which delivers that free to the fleet based on the Navy sourcing logic. And just so far this year, we've already given $2.5 million to um, operational units for free. All right. So what have you learned through this process? And how are you going to scale that learning? So basically, we learned what was necessary and what was important when we do these consolidations. So we learned the right way to draw down material at one location and build in material at a next location so that we don't have to deadhead so much material from location A to location B when it's done. So we've figured out how long that takes. We've identified the best ways to ship things to make sure that we can get them to uh, the customers on time so we can get them to the fleet so that we can get them to the program offices so we can get them to the warfare centers. And we've learned that uh, there really is bang for the buck. Um, Like I said, we consolidated three locations and are saving literally $1.2 million year over year. If you scaled that up to uh, the 700 facilities that I said that we could really potentially consolidate. Estimates vary, obviously, but uh, our numbers say that we're looking at at least $52 million worth of year-over-year savings if we could get all that accomplished. And and that's not you know one year, that's every year. And that money can go right back into the aviation enterprise. So wherever the money is needed, is it, is it more planes? Is it more parts? Is it more people? It's available for, for redistribution, and, and that's a, a big a big savings. Absolutely. And of course, anytime we can save money, that is a great thing. Brian, what behaviors would you say are necessary to ensure continued success? So the biggest thing is just taking it seriously. Everybody wants to do a good job. And as long as we're paying attention to the right processes and making sure that we're taking good care of our material and getting it in the systems, even sometimes if that's uh, not the easiest thing to do with the computers that we're sometimes gifted, that's really the key. That allows us to weaponize the information in that system and give the leadership an opportunity to make decisions that impact the warfighter. It's a little bit of trading the hands-on control of stuff that is near to you and that you know where it is for total visibility. So we have to give up a little bit of that it's mine control to here is what I have so that everyone can see it so that leadership has the opportunity to make decisions. Leadership can't make decisions if they don't have access to the data. And that's what we're trying to do is make sure they have access to the data and make sure the data they have is accurate. So what are your plans going forward? What's next? Consolidation is our next big play. We talked about that. We're going to try and get down to uh, as few facilities as we can. That's going to start with the first facility. Right now we're working with the uh, NSSA cost pillar 
folks to try and uh, capture our, our savings and, and get some help and, and visibility and make sure that uh, we're going to do all this the right way. Eventually, we, uh, we would like to be able to get out of the material handling business altogether. NAVSUP is the Navy's logistician arm. Maybe there's a way that they can take our material for us and we can have a service that they provide. We don't know exactly what form that might look like. It's a lot easier to get NAVSUP to take our stuff if we get in a pretty bow box. We get in a box with a pretty bow, we can hand it to them and say, hey guys, everything is already working. It's beautiful. It's easy to manage. And they will say, thank you very much for your hard work. We'll take over now. That's a much longer term goal, but you know, this is an acquisition and engineering command. And we need to focus on the things that we do that bring the most benefit to the warfighter. And if we can offload some of that responsibility to a sister command with a different mission, that might be the way to go. So we're, we're investigating all those possibilities. Really, we want to focus on smart acquisition and deployment of resources. And the way we do that is to fully understand and know what we have, what condition it's in, and where it's at. You mentioned NSSA, which is a data-driven process. It's a way we're doing business better to ensure our naval aviation forces have what they need to train, fight, and win. How does the property management process play into NSSA and meeting our readiness goals? Yeah, so we play in all those things. So the reliability control boards, those are great, and they help identify those key degraders that then we can run against our ERP numbers to see if we have parts that we can provide. We're a key player in all that. It's one of those things that if we didn't know what to search for, we couldn't search for it. So we need that information about what what is needed in the fleet, what's needed in the depots, what those degraders are, so that we can look in everybody's inventory and see if it's really there. And if it's not, okay, well, we can't help. But if it is, then we can broker those conversations and say, hey, these guys have this. Leadership, make a decision. Which one is more important? Is a flight test that may be 18 months out, but they already have the parts on board? Can we fill that order in 18 months and give the fleet a part right now and not impact the flight test at all? Maybe that's an option. Maybe you delay the flight test. Maybe the flight test is important so you don't. That's a decision leadership can make if they have the right information. Looking back at what you've accomplished so far, what would you say is a key enabler to your success? By putting the property office in sustainment and combining all of the categories of, of property into one, under one umbrella, it made property accessible and the property policy and rules and, and all that stuff accessible to the programs. And what that's done has, it's really increased the level of trust and communication between the policy audit groups and the real world with the program offices in the fleet. That's really been one of the, the big keys is just communication, is opening up those lines of communication, being a, an advocate for both sides, really. Sometimes people in the program offices don't want to hear what the accountants have to say, and it certainly goes the other way. And our job is really a, as an intercessor to, to make those two things talk to each other correctly and to be there to offer help. So we don't do stuff for the programs. We are policy oversight and guidance. But we really are there as the grease to make the two wheels mesh together. As we wrap today's podcast, what advice do you have for someone who's ready to get real and get better? Take the data seriously. Investigate the data. Go a different direction. Make sure it really says what it says. And then just do it. 
If you sit and wait and get analysis paralysis, that's not going to help anybody. I would much rather bowl forward with a, an 80% solution, make a mess and clean it up on my way out than sit and wait for something to be 100% because you're never going to get it that way. We are in the mess right now. And we are going to continue to make a mess for quite a while. And we'll clean it up as we go. But the truth of the matter is, if I can make a mess and save $20 million a year while I'm doing it, I'm going to consider that a win. And I will take that win to the bank. Because every one of those dollars that I save turns into another washer. It turns into another ARC-210 radio. It turns into another layer of JSF coating. Whatever we need in the fleet, that's what these dollars are going to turn back into. So... I may not get that full $52 million a year for a while, but every dollar I save goes to help the warfighter right now. And more cost savings equals more solutions for our warfighter. Brian, thank you for joining us and telling us how you're using data to drive down cost and make informed decisions that positively impact naval aviation readiness. If you would like to hear more examples of successful behaviors for a winning culture, check out the Airwaves podcast on all your favorite listening apps. And that's it for this edition of Airwaves. Thanks for listening.